Don't you just love it when you can confidently say that someone has your back? Hi, Dave Lee here, and that's the feeling I have with UCARE. Anytime I call them up with a Medicare question, I know without a doubt that a real person will answer, and they will work through my issues no matter how long it takes, and they won't hang up until I completely understand what's going on. Their people and customer service are second to none, and it's why UCARE has people-powered health plans. Don't hesitate to reach out to UCARE for help. Learn more at UCARE.org slash Medicare. This paid endorsement brought to you by UCARE. Today on my first concert. Okay, now this part's none of our business. Sure. Davide, mine, or the listeners. However, after that concert ended, what happened with Kevin and the girlfriend and you and the visitor? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I I am very comfortable to say not a lot um, in, in any situation. So. Welcome back, everybody. Dave Lee along with Davide putting it all together here. And a very special guest going to join us in just a minute, Sean McPherson. Looking forward to this conversation. It's all brought to you by Minnesota Propane Association. Also by Aquarius Home Services here from the Aquarius Home Services Studio. By UCARE, by the Chanhassen Dinner Theater, and by StarBank.net. And we're happy to welcome here on my first concert, Sean McPherson. Again, you can download these on Apple, Spotify, Talk North, wherever you get your podcast. Sean, thanks for coming in. I appreciate that. Oh, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. A lot of you know Sean on the radio. I don't know how many of you know him as a performer. Some may know you as a performer. Not on the radio, but we're going we're gonna to connect all those dots today. First things first, though, Sean, your first concert. In Excess and the Soup Dragons... Hartford, Connecticut, the X tour. And I'm going to guess that's probably 88 post. I think it was their record after kick was called X. And that was about where I checked in. Why Hartford? So I grew up in rural Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the East coast? A little bit. Yeah. Family out there. Yeah. So I grew up in Williamstown, Massachusetts. Closest metro area is Albany. You got a decent shot at a band playing Albany, but on this particular tour, uh, they were just routed through Hartford. Hartford is probably, it was at that time when you were trying to fly out of the area, you'd be like Albany and Hartford about the same distance. Albany an hour and 10 minutes, Hartford an hour and 30 or something. So went to the show in Hartford and me, my mom, my dad, my brother were all in excess fanatics. And it was just an unbelievable way to start my concert going experience. What do you remember best about that concert? Here's a weird one. A proto digital set list that told the band what song was coming next that was visible to the audience but i don't think on purpose and it was like you know the feeling of like size 75 font and you would be watching them play one song but my dad or my brother and my mom had gone look you can see what's up next because you could look at these red letters and i remember just being enthralled with the production of it, you mm-hmm. know, like that, the fact that there's, there were these people walking out on stage, putting up microphones, Michael Hutchins, one of the great front people of all time. He was absolutely electrifying. I think at that point, you know, a local uh, Dixieland trio would have been enthralling to me because it was, <laughs> it was people on stage, Sure, but, but I was seeing one of the absolute greats and I, I truly, it was, it was the production and all these things that are still magical to me, but are much more understandable to me, were all pure magic. The lights flashing. I didn't know that the guy back there working the lights also knew the set list and, and was doing these things. So it was, the, it was the spectacle, and it was seeing Michael Hutchins. So. And very cool that your parents 
would take you to a show like that. So obviously your musical influence must have come from them somewhat, right? Yeah. And this is, so my parents met, have you ever heard of a blues record from, I think, 68 called Fathers and Sons? This is like Muddy Waters and a couple sort of old school black Chicago blues musicians playing with sort of the younger guard of not exclusively white, but primarily white blues musicians like Paul Butterfield and Michael guitar player, whose name I'm, I'm losing right now. Um, they were coming together to make a record. They did some of it in a studio and they did some of it at Roosevelt university for a thing called the cosmic jamboree. Oh my, this is a couple months after the democratic national convention in 1968. Wow. So my mom is is rocking her white lady fro and <laughs> and can't get a cab. <laughs> you know, just can't get a cab because they're not trying to pick up hippies because there's all this, oh, yeah. you know, uh, anger towards uh, what the hippies and what the, the weathermen had done in that part of Chicago specifically. She thought she was sort of flirting with some high school students and going, um, are you boys going to the north side? Turned out my dad was with all these fellow economic grad students who probably <laughs> hadn't seen the sun in a couple of semesters. And, and, and my dad said, absolutely, even though they were heading back to University <laughs> of Chicago, uh, the reverse direction. And yeah. and so they their, their relationship was forged. My dad saw Cream three times. Cream was together for four years, yeah. you know, and they were in London. He saw Led Zeppelin opening for Jethro Tull, I oh, believe. Oh, stop like, it. So, so music was, is it was hard to make music a big part of your life in rural Massachusetts. And they took us to spots to go in deeper. They took my brother guitar lessons in Albany. And if In Excess was coming and we saw it in the Berkshire Eagle, they were going to figure out a way for us to get there. So, wow. So uh, what point did you decide you were going to be a musician? Uh, it was around I, i'm there's a i think there's a generation where the focus is really what was happening in seattle with pearl jam and nirvana and things like that and so that's going back 91 92 it was more a pearl jam thing than a nirvana thing for me i found something really i connected with the lyrics i connected with the accessibility of the band in the sense that they looked, they didn't look schlubby, but they, you know, Jeff Ament was wearing a, a loose basketball jersey and <laughs> it looked somewhat attainable and also magical. And so uh, Pearl Jam was like the thing where I said, oh, this is really amazing. But I had already been like a tennis racket kid. I would just spend like hours holding a tennis racket, pretending it was a guitar. I had a guitar, <laughs> but, but just, just <laughs> pretending I was a rock star um, in the living room. I could be. I you could were Eddie Vedder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. It was a great baseball fan. Yes, he sure is. Yeah. I heard him on a podcast talking about all that stuff. So. Um, we're talking with Sean McPherson. I'm going to talk about a few more concerts with Sean. A lot more to talk about here on My First Concert. Great to have you with. And it is all brought to you by some of our great sponsors, including uh, our friends at Minnesota Propane Association. And here's kind of an interesting question, to say the least. Are you prepared for power outages at your home or business? You're thinking, I hadn't thought about that, Dave, until you brought it up. But the North American Electric Reliability Corporation has issued its highest alert ever. And the Minnesota Propane Association wants you to know that installing a propane generator is going to ensure peace of mind when the power goes out. Also, that same propane that powers your generator can also power all the major appliances in your home with on-site stored energy independent of the grid. 
Installing propane appliances instead of electric appliances in your home or business will also reduce the size and the cost of a generator as well. So just imagine running all your gas appliances at one time versus picking and choosing which electric ones to run during a power outage. It's reliable, it's affordable, it's safe, it's propane. It's the energy for everyone and well worth your time to learn about what this can do for you at propane.com and find out more about the generators and propane appliances, but there's a lot of information and it is timely considering our environment and everything else. So go to that website when you get a chance. Sean McPherson is with us, afternoon cruise host on KBM and uh, a long time uh, music director over there as well. And But more than that, he's a musician. Now, Sean, before I talk about your career, any other concerts that stand out for you through the years? Anything that you'd go, wow, yeah, that one was great, or this one was memorable for whatever reason? I got to see D'Angelo on the Voodoo Tour at the Orpheum in the summer of 2000. So D'Angelo put out a record in very early 2000, I think February of 2000, called Voodoo, his sophomore record. And the... um excitement around this set of musicians that involved Questlove from the Roots on drums, Pino Palladino on bass, who was sort of British player who had played with a lot of uh, icons from the rock world, but had been working with B.B. King, connected with D'Angelo. And they worked for about a year and change at Electric Ladyland Studios in New York. And they made this record, Voodoo, that remains my favorite record of all time. And I got to see that tour and it was all these people who were absolute icons who were probably working for somewhat below what they could make with their own bands but they really believed in what d'angelo was doing and there was a uh, a command of the groove a freedom in how the band was presenting themselves and this mythology i was actually absolutely wrapped up in and it was um it was unbelievable and I had made, I, I was in the year 2000, I'm probably 20 years old. I had made this mistake of letting um, a, a girl that I had had a crush on who was coming through town on a road trip stay over at my house on the night D'Angelo was playing in town and I was going there with my girlfriend, which is just amateur 20 year old mistake. <laughs> where, you know, you, you're 24 and you go, that's not going to work. Like, you're going to stay in a hotel, we'll meet for coffee or whatever. You need to make those though along the way. Yeah. And. <laughs> And I was, uh, my, I'm still friends with the girlfriend I had at the time, Anna, and I was, we were in a true fight when we got to that concert. I had also done another 20-year-old mistake, which is buy three tickets and bring my friend Kevin along as well, which is just not what you do. And D'Angelo's music is not without a sense of romance and eroticism. This would be a good time to just be kicking it with your lady, and I, I did not do that. And... <laughs> We were basically not speaking during the concert, both really enjoying the concert. But when he got out on that roads by himself and did How Does It Feel, we still just had to hold each other's side and sway and feel this thing because it was the the compulsion to connect with somebody was so strong. Um, I, I remember that that moment vividly. So that's I do have a nice like. When people are like, what's the best concert you ever saw? I mean, I've seen a lot of greats. My dad took me to the Dakota a ton when I was in high school, and I'm so thankful for that. But D'Angelo, year 2000, pretty unbelievable. And in the Orpheum, where the yeah. sound had to be quite good. 
the sound was beautiful. It was, it was just, it, I didn't know how incredible it was. I didn't, I didn't quite understand because I hadn't seen, I've seen D'Angelo since I saw, I, I saw D'Angelo at first half with just quest love uh, with St. Paul Peterson, open it up with Eric Leeds playing and all those things. Great sound as well, but we were witnessing some of the most world-class musicians doing ambitious work at, I think a lot of people hit some kind of creative peak late 20s. That's where a lot of these gentlemen and women were, you know, 27 to 32 or something like that, and stunning. So. How many 20-year-olds were at that show, do you think? It wasn't a kitty crowd, right? but my generation was tracking D'Angelo. D'Angelo struggled mightily because he was a sex symbol and he had crafted himself somewhat to be a sex symbol and then he hadn't realized what that was going to do to his crowd. So I think there was a lot of 24-year-old women who were there because they had seen the video with his body and they wanted to experience that and he wanted to give a more nuanced performance. It was very purposeful that on the song How Does It Feel, he was behind a keyboard. You weren't going to see his... I don't know what these muscles are called, and I've I've never found them on me. But the, but, but, the, the, but the there's a by, name for them. Yeah, the ones by your pelvis, and he was not going to be displaying yeah. that. So there was an age thing. My generation was with it, but it was like the musicians of my generation at that point, not necessarily um, the everybody. It was it was a little more selective. Okay, now this part's none of our business, sure, Davide, mine or the listeners. However, after that concert ended. What happened with Kevin and the girlfriend and you and the visitor? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I I am very comfortable to say not a lot um, in, in any situation. So I believe it's just totally one of those 20-something things. Sure. Kevin was my roommate. Uh, my, uh, the, this, uh, friend Caroline, uh, had come through town. I think she was already asleep. Didn't get her a ticket to the show. And we all, we all went to sleep and uh, the magic of how does it feel did not, did not transfer into the boudoir that, that very night. So. <laughs> you gave it an effort. At least that's the key. We're talking with uh, Sean McPherson here. Uh, and I got to ask him about Twinkie Jiggles and a couple of other things when we sure. come back and his own show and his own music, by the way. They just had a, a vinyl release party, I believe, Sean. And yep. then you've got something coming up, too, that I want to bring up as well. So, hey, thanks for joining us here today. I would say if you're hoping to expand your business or do some repairs at home this spring, I would say Star Bank would be great. Star Bank is the bank of talknorth.com, just so you know. So we know him pretty well. And the turnaround time on loans right now with Star Bank. I think it's fair to say it's second to none because there's no red tape or even any monkey business once you apply for a loan and submit your documentation. The cool part of this is they're a Minnesota company. So they started in rural Minnesota years ago. It's still a family-run business, and they've expanded, including right here in the Twin City Metro. And they answer their phone with a real person. Uh, they will uh, invite you to come on into the bank. You'll get to know them. They'll get to know you. But Obviously, a lot of us want to do the high-tech stuff. We want to stay on our phone, we want to stay on our computer, our iPad, whatever, and do it that way. And you can. That's not a problem at all. But it's just kind of a neat throwback to the way it kind of used to be where you'd have these personalities and you get to know them and you become friends. And it makes things a lot easier, I think. What you want to do, though, is call your local Star Bank. Call a branch today. Stop at your convenience. Know that they've been around a long time. Know that they know how to handle pretty much any kind of loan there is. Starbank.net is where you find them. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Loans are subject to a loan application and approval. But they are a bank here at TalkNorth.com. Sean McPherson's with us. Okay, Sean, can I ask you about the the vinyl? 
that you just recently released right over here at the Ice House. Yeah. So I, I started a band in 1997 called High Respects, and we are still active. We're active in the way a band with mostly gentlemen in their 40s and three of us out of the six have kids. So we're not hitting the road hard, but we continue to play music. We continue to fund a scholarship at our high school. St. Paul Central. St. Paul Central. That's very cool. And we recorded a record largely before the pandemic, but hadn't quite completed it when the pandemic hit, which made for some of the hardest, some of the most necessarily collaborative parts of finishing a record are at the end when you really want people to sign off on the mixes and to sign off on the overdubs and to pick which take of this and which take of that happened. We had to do that all on Google drive, all on chats and things like that, because we were being very cautious about COVID and all that. Um, We finally got the record done. And nowadays when you get a record complete, you go, Oh cool. Let's order vinyl. And the people making the vinyl go great. We'll have it for you in September. Like it's, 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 (laughs) it's months away from when you might want it. We released the album towards the very end of 2022, had a a release show at the Turf Club and got it out as a digital product. And then we got the records and then we celebrated just two weekends ago over at Ice House, which was an an absolute joy um, to actually have. I I still love the physical product. I'm very glad we have it. Yeah, it's it's still pretty cool to have the album. Uh, Keg and Case is coming up. You're going to do a show over there. Yes, we're doing something called the High Respect Summer Classic, and this is our inaugural one. I've been I've been told it's uh, not necessary to say first inaugural because the the firstness is built right into that yeah. one. Um, but we we love playing outdoor festivals. That's been a big part of our bread and butter for our whole career. Is playing the Pizza Luce Block Party, playing Bastille Day at Barbette, playing the Red Stag Block Party when that was a thing, and and especially even going out into Greater Minnesota, but. As you know, you don't own that. It's just uh, you get hired and they say, here's when you got to show up. Here's what you're going to get paid. And that's very stress-free and it's fun. But we're at the stage in our career where we want to sort of put a stamp on more things as really the presenters. So we're doing this summer classic where we're basically throwing our own block party in conjunction with Clutch Brewing. We got Maria Issa playing with us, State Representative Maria Issa, I might add. And then also Unknown Profits um, got food from Crew. And generally just trying to, and and beverages from Clutch, and trying to give people that free summer block party experience because we loved it when we were just the entertainment, and now we want to present it as well. People that have not heard High Respects, how would you describe the music? I would describe it as live band hip hop on the more um, instrumentally oriented side. There's rapping a ton of the time, so it's not like we're an instrumental group, but it's really clear that we hold... Um, the sounds of the instruments, the sounds of the grooves in the same regard that we hold uh, the vocal performances and things like that. So it's a real feel-good thing, but it'll ring true for people who enjoy uh, The Roots, people who enjoy Beastie Boys, A Tribe Called Quest. That's like, you know, a lot of our bread and butter was growing up listening to that music. So radio or the musicianship, what came first? By a long shot, musicianship. Okay. Um, And... Radio, I sort of snuck in through the back door and have found that it really speaks to me. And I, you know, I assume that you had the bug as well and got that bug of going, this is an amazing way to spend my career and, and spend my life and, and relate uh, to the world. But I was a straight up musician through my 20s, did a lot of touring and always enjoyed uh, talking about music and talking about 
um, things. I, and it felt comfortable. I would host some shows from time to time, live shows and things like that. And I started running a, started a trivia company. And the way I got into radio was I was just bugging the program director at The Current. Hey, will you bring me in to do trivia on the morning show? And at some point he relented, you know. (laughs) You got to keep knocking to get the door answered. Yeah, Yeah, you got to knock. You know, you can't knock every day, but every two months. (laughs) Hey, you know, I I enjoyed that. Got Got in through doing trivia and then started doing subbing. Um, and 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 really enjoyed it right away. But music first in a in a in a big way. Have you played uh, with the White Stripes? Right with the yeah. Black Eyed Peas. Can you tell me about that? I, I sure can. The both of those stories, the the White Stripes stories, is pretty worthwhile. Now, when we say played with, it's not like they're like Sean, bring your bass. I, you know, just uh, <laughs> we're, you know yeah. what? We're yeah. tired of being a duo. How would you feel about having your last name be White, uh, <laughs> Sean White? Uh, yeah, there you go. No, this is um, played with the White Stripes at the very beginning of their career. No kidding. So Jack is I mean, kind of unknown. Jack and Meg are unknown. But within the week of us playing with them, they were on the cover of Spin. Stop it. So wow. They're, they're unknown in in most of America, but they were selling out. I can't remember the name, but there's a big club in Hoboken that what, Yola Tango kind of runs it. I can't remember the name. But they had sold that out. I went for one year to college in Vermont when I sort of thought my home base after high school might be the East Coast. Again. Sure. So I went to college in Vermont, to, went to Bennington College for one year. Did realize I did not want to spend four years on a mountaintop. Um, I wanted to be in a city, and I came back, and I was getting my band out on the road for the first time, and you sort of go, oh, if I can get an anchor date with some money at the college I used to go to, we'll be, we'll be good. We'll be able to cover a lot of the gas expenses. So I called up the woman who I had booked shows with the year before, and I said, hey, randomly, you got to give me this Tuesday night at the cafe, and you got to pay me $500. Can, can you help me out with that? And she was like, Honestly, any other day, absolutely. But there's this band, the White Stripes, playing. You have to, you have to open for them, and I can only give you two hundred fifty dollars because they're like getting seven hundred or something. You go, oh, okay. And um, it was. Uh, what was your band name then? High Respects. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, some different members, but this still yeah. the the same. A lot of the same music. Very and cool. We we went to the cafe. White Stripes had already sound checked. And had walked back to where they were going to be sleeping. And they had left all their crap on the stage. Hadn't moved anything out of the way. Hadn't moved any of the pedals back. And particularly if you've seen the White Stripes, the drummer, uh, Meg, was right up front. And uh, I was frustrated, kindly frustrated. But I was like, I have to move this other person's equipment. And that's not good to their equipment. And that's not good for me. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. It's like touching a cowboy's hat. Exactly, which I would never do. Um, So when Meg White came back, I gave her a polite piece of my mind where I just said, hey, this this is really not cool. You knew there was another band playing and you didn't move your gear. I had to move your gear and I tried to treat it with respect, but you could have treated us with some respect and, 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 and move some of your stuff out of the way. And to her credit, she was like, you're right. I'm super tired. We just played in Hoboken. I'm about to be famous, a hole. You know, no, no, no. <laughs> she she was she was kind, and she said, "You're right. And I should have done that." And we played the show, and I didn't know the White Stripes music, and I was not super impressed. I just I was still with that thing where I go, "Why don't you have a bass player? Like, where's yeah, the yeah. Where, what's what's going on?" Which was which was short sighted because I now recognize that they're, they're yeah. really incredible. But yeah, 
got to open for them. Got to open. If you're a pretty good band and you're around for 30 years, you'll get to open for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. And the Black Eyed Peas? Black Eyed Peas, big show up in Duluth. Um, for like a the a college maybe two thousand three two thousand four, the Black Eyed Peas were once mistaken for Hyrospecs at an Indian restaurant in Northfield, Minnesota. Is that a compliment? It is an absolute yeah. compliment. There's a guy somewhat in the studio scene here named Casey Golden. I think he has the B room next to Joe Mabbit uh, up in Northeast, and, or at one point he did, and he was traveling with the Black Eyed Peas, and they're they're in town to play at Carlton, and they go into this restaurant this Indian restaurant in Northfield and this young woman who's their server goes, this is so amazing that you guys are here and you're, you're here so early. And and they're like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're playing tomorrow. It's a, it's, it's a big production. And she's like, you guys don't play till next week. And, and they're like, we're the black eyed peas. She's like, I thought you guys were higher special. What can I get you? Like, it was just like, yeah. So yeah, uh, that, that's probably the only time that's happened, but yeah. Uh, we were uh, just to, to, I don't mean to talk about myself, but you mentioned Jack White. So I'm walking out of the building downtown Minneapolis over on 7th and 2nd. And it's, you know, downtown was buzzing and uh, as it was uh, downtown during the lunch hours. And yeah. I'm just I'm just getting, um, walking over to the next door to the Grand Hotel for whatever reason. And there's this guy standing against the wall, leg against the wall, just kind of sitting there looking. I looked at him and said, uh, Jack, how are you? And he says, good, how you doing? It was Jack White. So, uh, you know, I didn't, we just started chatting like we knew each other. And I said, you know, I was at the Twins game last night. I was sitting, I bet I was four rows from you. I looked over and there you were sitting right kind of behind home plate in the nice seats. And I said, I wasn't quite in that level. And he says, why don't you come over? I've never met him before. Why don't you come over and sit with me? Because he's a huge Detroit Tiger fan. Right. And then, and then we chatted and then somebody came up and, and, uh, recognize me and not Jack White. And I'm going, Ugh. I'm pointing at him and she's going, you know, and I'm going, no, yeah. <laughs> do you know who this is? And he's sucking it up like a sponge, but he's a huge baseball fan. But then, then we chatted for a while. It was really fun, real casual, obviously. Yeah. And then uh, what I really wanted to ask him about is his relationship with Bob Dylan. Oh, this I don't know about. Yeah. Apparently he and Bob Dylan hit it off. And of course, it's hard, you know Dylan's so secretive and in a way, yeah. But that was Jack White, and I immediately went, "God, this guy is just—he was just unflappable. He was kind. He was really nice. That is really neat that you got a chance to put them before they were the before they were who they are. I guess now that we're doing the Jack White podcast, I have to ask you: Did you ever see the photo of Jack White at his neighborhood gathering? I don't think so. Oh, this was an absolute treat—a legitimate Facebook photo posted by like. A lady in her 50s named, you know, Mallory or something. She goes, we had a big neighborhood block party and everybody came out, even the quiet guy with the big house on the corner. And you just see like <laughs> this <clears throat> very pale guy with very frothy hair looking legitimately happy. And like Mallory's cousin was like, this is Jack White. And just for a minute, it became the talk of the internet was just Jack White with his, his random neighbors. Yeah, It's the best guy. He has to love stuff like that. You got to. We're talking with Sean McPherson. A lot of things going on with Sean. Uh, we'll talk some more when we come back here in just a minute. Speaking of music, we had a great time talking with Mary Jane Allen the other day in her 50th anniversary. Um, and in fact, you mentioned, uh, Sean mentioned Jethro Tull. I think Mary Jane Davide told us that Jethro Tull was her first concert that yes. she went to because oh, wow. she was a flute player. Oh. And how many rock bands had 
I don't know if it's a flautist or what it would be called, but anyway, that was her first. The concert. answer is one, one band, one rock band has a flute and it's Jethro Tull. <laughs> oh, really? Tucker, I didn't recognize yeah. yeah. Well, Marshall Tucker band had one. Oh, yeah. and then, really? and then Firefall, I think may have had, because the guy from Marshall Tucker played for Firefall. I think if I remember, I'm not sure, but anyway, you're right. Yeah. That's a hard one to, that'd be a good trivia one right there for you. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, out at the Chanhassen, they have so many great performances. Mary Jane just did her 50th anniversary out there to a sold-out house. They're going to be doing the music of Gordon Lightfoot coming up here in August. They'll be doing the music of the Everly Brothers. They've got uh, Bread Alone, the music memories of the band Bread. A tribute to the Cars, a tribute to the great vocal duos. Legends of Country's coming up. Rumors and Dreams, which I've seen several times with uh, Pamela McNeil and, of course, uh, Mary Jane Alm and, and so many others. It's just a great show. Uh, so many great things happening in their little concert area. And that theater, the sound in there is fantastic. And you think about the Chan Hashin, about the dinner theater. By the way, one of the, Michael Brindisi, who's a creative director out there, he's done a lot of shows. He's been in a lot of musicals, been on Broadway. But on their main stage right now, he's directing Jersey Boys, and it's it's a great combo because Michael grew up in the streets of Philadelphia, and he was one of those kids that sang in the shadows of the streetlights in Philadelphia as a kid, and that's kind of what Jersey Boys is. I know it's the Four Seasons in Frankie Valley, but I think Michael saw his kind of story of growing up as, as a singer out on those streets, and the production is fantastic. I encourage you to get your tickets, go out there and see that, enjoy dinner and a show. Maybe you want to go to the comedy club, maybe over to see the bands at the Chan Hessen Dinner Theater, that the special concert theater. It's, it's gorgeous. It's really nice. Anyway, the point is go to ChanHessenDT.com as soon as you can. Get tickets. See what they got coming up. I have a good feeling there's going to be somebody doing something that you like a lot. And I really enjoy going out there. Uh, plus, the bar is kind of fun to hang out ChanHassonDT.com. Sean McPherson's with us. He's a KBM music director of the Afternoon Cruise host, but also a musician. Uh, and he has just had a vinyl come out, of course. They're going to be performing over at Keg and Case coming up here as well. Uh, Sean, I got to ask you, though. Instagram, your Twinkie Jiggles. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about that? Or? I absolutely can. So, yeah, my stage name is Twinkie Jiggles, and this came up. In high school, I'm going to high school at St. Paul Central, and I've already started playing with high respects. And a lot of times in high school, the name of the game is self-preservation. And, a, and <laughs> yeah. in high school, it's a lot. I, I'm going to make fun of myself before you can make fun of me, because then I've diffused the situation to some extent. So I, I have always in my life wanted to be a proud fat person. I wanted to be a person who carried myself with the ability to talk about my whole self and the ability to talk about romance and girlfriends and sports and travel and all those things and be the size I am. And there's a a really well-known break dancer from the 1980s named Mr. Wiggles. And in a movie that he was in, a, a hip hop movie from the 1980s, the very bottom of his jacket. So where right around your butt, he just said Wiggles. On it, and I just got this sense it would be so cool to have that jacket, but have it say Jiggles. And I was talking to the rapper from Higher Specs, my dear friend Felix, and I said, "Yeah, just I, I want to get the bottom of my jacket that says Jiggles." And he was like, "Twinkie Jiggles." <laughs> that's that's your nickname. I had a very 
very slight connection to Twinkies. I did the, uh, I was the DJ for the Central High School baseball team. So when they would play, we'd we'd play a couple things. And I know you're a baseball guy. If, if you if you haven't had the joy of playing Mozart's DS Hero when somebody hits a home run, <laughs> let me tell you, the jocks loved me. Um, yeah. But. Uh, the, yeah, you were the guy then. I, I mean, they had to suck that up like a sponge. I remember this guy who wouldn't give me the time of day in the cafeteria. <laughs> I think his name was Colin, or that's just a good jock name, but I'm pretty sure it was Colin. <laughs> he hits this home run, and he he hears the music, and he looks up at me, and he's like, all right, there we go. That's a good thing. But yeah, the name Twinkie Jiggles, as a man who wanted... I want a nickname so bad. At one point, I think my nickname was Nipples the Cat with the blues <laughs> band I was in, which was, that didn't stick, thank no, God. No, thank goodness. But, yeah. but Twinkie Jiggles did. So, Tell me about uh, working with Dessa. Did uh, a couple years as Dessa's bass player and really helping her get started as a national touring artist. She had, this city was already in rapt attention yes. with her. And at times, even earlier before I was officially in her band, if the money was really good for a show, she would bring High Respects to be her backing band or members of High Respects to be her backing band. So we had been in each other's spheres since maybe 2005, something like that. But around 2009, she starts getting ready to go okay, I'm getting some attention. It's time for me to start getting out on the road. I want to start having a show that isn't just rocking with a DJ. Not to take away from rocking with a DJ, but she wanted to present herself in a different way. And we worked uh, together to build her band, brought in a lot of great people, um, and started hitting the road in 2010 and making records together, um, made a record called um, Caster the Twin, which is really like a document of kind of how her live band was at that time, but was also involved with records that had production. And it was really rewarding for me, A, because Dessa's an excellent artist, and B, she had a level of momentum out on the road that High Respects had never quite drummed up for an extended period of time. So I got to play in the larger rooms. I got um, a better compensated, which was really nice. And on top of that, I got to see something build that I was involved in, but didn't have exclusively my name on it or something I had started. And it was, it was really rewarding. The band kind of ran its course as that group. And three of the men in the group were all trying to start families at the same time. And it, we played a show, one of those Rochester uh, Riverside shows. And I think we all kind of knew it was the last show of this ensemble. And with very few asterisks, it was, you know, like maybe we did something where half the band was there. But that was one of those things where I, when Higher Spec stopped touring, I really wanted to still tour, but it didn't make sense for that band. And I had that sort of energy of going, man, I really want to get out on the road again, but maybe I never will. Cause it's not exactly up to you. There's a lot of moving parts right. that there's a lot of, there's a lot of players stronger than me that haven't gotten to hit the road. Like I have. But so when I got to go out with Dessa, I was really happy. And by the time I was in that Rochester show, I had gotten it largely out of my system. I wasn't like, when's the next tour? What's yeah. going on? And so I was really thankful for that chapter. To prepare for that. What about rehearsals? What about practice? How much time do you devote to that? Or once the show starts, you pretty much have it down. Once you're on the road, unless you're in a band that's sort of in a different tax bracket than any group I've been in, it's not feasible to rehearse besides for sound checks. So you might go over the trouble spots in a set, um, you know, during during sound checks. You might try to do a little bit of writing with the group during sound checks, but then you're at the mercy of the venue of the next group that has to sound check. So that's probably you know 
maximum 25 minutes of like dedicated rehearsal time while you're on the road. We rehearsed mightily at home in preparation for tours, in preparation for shows. And if you ask around in town, um, I'm known as a, a really efficient rehearser and a really dedicated rehearser. Maybe not, I'm not a taskmaster. I can have a, a fun, but I take things seriously and I try to make sure that if we have three hours of rehearsal, we're going to get a lot done. There's not a lot of um, of, of slack in that system. So I, I love rehearsing. I care about rehearsing. And we did a lot of it, but not, not on the road because it's just, you just got to get back to the hotel and keep going. Yeah. So, so uh, speaking, of, speaking of writing yeah. and creating, and I shouldn't bring it up because you just got done with this album release. Yep. But what's next? Are you already working on something again? At this moment, I am focused a lot on the upcoming show because, uh, we're, as I mentioned earlier, we're doing this festival on August 19th. I had underestimated how much goes into really running your own festival mm-hmm. and, and, and sort of going, oh, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a, a lot to figure out. I I know that once that gets done, I'm going to look at my bass downstairs and my keyboard downstairs and feel differently about it right now but and, and start finding something and start doing something. But I... Doing radio checks a lot of boxes for my soul. Yep. Like when I when yep. I when I get through with a week of that and I get back to my family, that that feels really satisfying. So I guess I, I'm waiting for the next thing to strike me musically. But um, right now, I'm not in any active writing mode. Let me take you back to in excess because yes. you mentioned your family. Will you or have you taken your kids to their first concert? I took my six-year-old to, there's a group called the Warren Treaty that's a bluesy, soulful duo, and they were opening for a very big-time Christian artist whose name might be Laura something, Dolliger? I don't know. Laura Dolliger? Well, uh, Laura Daigle, right? Daigle, thank yes, you. Yes, very well done. Yes, beautiful voice. Unbelievable voice. I took her to see the Warren Treaty open for Laura Daigle at Target Center. Wow. And um, it was it was an enjoyable thing. I've taken her to see a lot of my music. Um, see, she's seen me play and things like that. Um, the closest we've gone to going, you're going to see a full-on show, and it's for an artist that you're excited about. Uh, she got hit with COVID. My daughter got COVID. Mm-hmm. Not not a bad bout of COVID, right. but such that when Jojo Siwa came to town, we just sort of, we had the tickets, but we had to push the tickets off to somebody else. So, And for the three-year-old, she sees my instrumental band play pretty much every month at, at the White Squirrel, um, but she hasn't been to a, a production show. So. Yeah, but that'll happen. Oh, absolutely. You got to pass it on. Yeah, because with your mom and dad, and I mean, I don't think there's anything better than that. I just don't know. Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, here's what I want you to think about when we come back. Okay. And this is kind of, I mean, you've kind of done it all. You, you know, you're a man of many talents. You have to put together a show, three bands, live or not, that would headline that show. I want you to think about who's going to be on your schedule, okay. whether it be at the Yardware, whether it be the Keg and Case or the White Squirrel or a Target Center or out of Target Field or wherever. Mm-hmm. But I'm anxious to hear your thoughts on that, Sean. Yeah. He is Sean McPherson, and he is our guest here on um, my first concert. By the way, KBM music director, uh, jazz, and you can hear him on there on the afternoon cruise. 
Speaking of cruising, I hope that uh, before you take some cruises here this summer that you're uh, handling the sizzling August pretty well. And I don't want the heat to overwhelm you. I love talking about my good friend uh, Jeff over to Corey's Home Services and his unbelievable deal he has going right now. He and I have known each other for well over two decades, actually when he started the company, and now he has uh, a great organization with a lot of good people. But right this month, they have an incredible $98 off any AC repair. And they're skilled. Their cooling and heating technicians are experts at troubleshooting, fixing all your air conditioning issues. It's a minor glitch maybe, or it could be a major breakdown. I've been through all of those things. Aquarius Home Services will work hard to ensure that your AC is back in top-notch condition. So I get that AC repair done with Aquarius Home Services and enjoy this rest of the worry-free summer and into what I'm sure will be a warm part of the fall as well. But $98 off any AC repair as we speak at Aquarius Home Services. I take advantage of it. They've earned the right to be recommended. They're great at what they do. Anywhere here in the Metro, get a hold of them and ask about uh, the $400 off select home air quality solutions. That's something I did with Jeff and his company as well. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. Just great, great people to work with. And I speak from experience on that. All right, Sean, this is a tough one probably for you to, to uh, do this in a short amount of time, but you have to pick your three acts at a concert. Who would they be? I th- There's a couple artists where I think it's important to make that commitment where you go, if they're coming through town, I'm going to go see them. I don't care if they came through six months earlier. I'm going to go see them. And Erica Badu is on that list for me. She's come through twice recently. I saw both shows. They were different shows, but absolutely rewarding. And I think the two shows were completely different. She did. No, there was some similarities, but she had some different musicians, a different set list some different audio visuals, but some of the same elements. That's kind of fun that she would do that in that short amount of time. It it is. Well, and it's also probably emblematic of the fact that it's one of the only avenues to making money for artists is to hit the road at this point. Yeah. Um, Erica Badu, there's an artist called Waxahachie and she put out a record called St. Cloud at the beginning of the pandemic. And that was that record that got me through. I think everybody had that one record that was like, oh, this will be my North Star as, as I contemplate <laughs> yeah. my mortality every night uh, while, while wiping off my groceries. And uh, I, I got to see her at First Ave and it was an absolute joy. Uh, so Erica Badu, Waxahachie. And I've seen Herbie Hancock once. He doesn't come through town all that often. He's coming to Iowa soon. And I hope uh, Twin Cities date is added. But it was an absolute joy to see him at the... At the Walker, when the Guthrie was at the Walker, going back, you know. Um, yeah. So I think it was at the Guthrie, but at that location. And that's just one of those artists. He, you know, Wayne Shorter just passed away. They're from the same generation. I don't want to miss any chance to see Herbie Hancock. And I think if you saw those three groups and you'd probably go Waxahachie, Herbie, Erica for the order, I think a lot of people would get a pretty, a complete protein out of that, out of that three group set. So the jazz part of your life now, yeah. how much did you know about it prior? How much are you learning on the job? The answer to both is a lot. You know, uh, I, I came in with a pretty good knowledge of jazz, largely because if you're trying to pursue music as a youth, a lot of your teachers are going to point you towards jazz to some extent, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and and I liked it. And so I, I connected with all this. My brother went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut. One of his teachers was Jay Hogard, who's a well-known vibraphone player, Frohn Akloff, a well-known drummer, and Anthony Braxton, a really famous saxophone player. My brother was buying all the Blue Note records. I was learning about all this stuff. When I was traveling with Higher Specs, 
our drummer, Peter Leggett, was very aware of the jazz stuff. And that was constantly what he was picking to listen to in the van. So I got a lot of this by osmosis. And then I had spent some time playing real book gigs, playing those gigs where somebody goes, we're playing four, we're playing straight note chaser, we're playing footprints, we're playing those things. And I had that language and that awareness. So I knew a lot of the names. I knew a lot of the players, but I had the blind spots you have when you've never done it professionally. Right. And so mm-hmm. suddenly you're going, oh, I need to catch up on this. Oh, I don't know why Johnny Hodges is significant. I can tell you he played with Duke Ellington, but I want to, I want to tell you why he matters, why his sound matters and things like that. So I've, I've played a lot of catch up, but I didn't start at home plate. I started, uh, you know, with a fair amount of knowledge. Well, hip hop and uh, that genre is, is young. I mean, there's a lot of young people obviously into that. Is jazz got younger people coming into it? Are you seeing a nice flux of young people coming in? I am. And we are, and that and that is not just specific to Jazz 88. I think that's specific to the fact, and I think it actually is related to hip-hop, that there is, hip-hop is the most sort of, you know, uh, collage-based art form we've ever had on a major la- level where you're borrowing and using sounds, fundamental sounds, not just styles from previous generations. That means that a lot of folks who grew up listening to hip-hop at some point find out they're listening to jazz. They find out, oh, the 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 the, the background of what I'm doing um, is jazz. We also have this generation of musicians where their connection to hip hop is not um, is not just like an advantageous business choice. And I think about I think artists like um, Donald Byrd, Guru. And um, Branford Marsalis, these artists who introduced a lot of hip hop sounds in the 1990s, I think on both sides, you got jazz musicians, you got hip hop musicians, they thought of it as a very rewarding novelty that they could really get into. I'm not taking away from those records, but what I'm hearing in players like Robert Glasper, players like Kamasi Washington, uh, players even like Cecile McLaurin Salvant and, and Samara Joy, Artists who might not go, oh, that's for sure hip-hop. Listen mm-hmm. to that DJ scratching. What I'm hearing is this true, authentic awareness of what jazz might sound like in 2023 without going, I'm going to be mercilessly retro or I'm going to be mercilessly connected to a hip-hop aesthetic. I'm going to follow my muse and I'm going to let the music of today seep in, which is what the greats in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s did. And I'm hearing that level of impurity, if you will, and it's so welcome compared to some of the 80s and 90s had a lot of sense of like, hi, we've written down exactly what jazz should sound like. And if there's something present in your presentation that isn't on this list, we don't think you're part of the genre. And this this is a much more inclusive, much more imaginative time for jazz. I'm not saying there weren't people doing that in the 1980s mm-hmm. and 1990s, but I'm saying I think they were fighting against the stream, and now I feel like the stream is heading in that direction. Website. If I want to follow your band, if I want to know more about you, I know how to get a hold of you on Instagram, but if folks want to do that, what do they do? I have a website that is mcpherson.club where I blog and talk about things and share my show dates and things like that. Uh, higher specs is an incredibly difficult word to spell, which makes us easy to search for, but it's H E I R U S P E C S.com. That's our website. And you know, 
don't just find me on Instagram because some, I, I've tried to keep some of that, some of my life out of that space and try to more put it uh, where we can do that. And then for all things Jazz 88, it's jazz88.fm. Uh, as, you, as you know from your time, uh, both doing podcasts and radio, uh, a website name I say probably nine or 10 times a day. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, thanks for coming in. Oh, thank really you good for to have you here. Me. I appreciate it. Congrats on everything. It's a great run that you've Thank had you. and will continue to have, I'm sure. And I'm anxious to hear what that big, big show is that you take the kids to, <laughs> like mom and dad did. <laughs> thank you for having me, and thank you for doing this. That's fun. It, it's great. And Davide, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, we are going to be back next week again on My First Concert. Go to TalkNorth.com and learn a lot more about all the great podcasts they have at TalkNorth.com. Also, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, you can download this and subscribe. It's easy. It's all brought to you by the Minnesota Propane Association, by Aquarius Home Services, by UCARE, by the Chanhassen Dinner Theaters, and by StarBank.net. We'll see you next week.